Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 107, Morality in Motion. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from our worldwide shed quarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm here with my good friend Jesse Fury, who is officially on sabbatical, but somehow, some way, <laughs> the good Lord has prevailed I'm to gone. allow <laughs> you to be a few days after sabbatical, not working, not working, but resting, recuperating on the podcast. Just chopping with me. it up with my buddy Reed here, talking talking about, about goodness, modernism, and historical <laughs> historical rejections of theistic based morality. <laughs> As we do, As man. we do. I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm full, fully on sabbatical mode. Just started a couple days ago. And uh, it's kind of shocking. It's strange. But but your shirt says truth is beautiful, which uh, I think you guys can probably see that if you're watching, if you're looking at this video. And I agree with that. Shockingly on sabbatical, resting, not working. With not, truth, not truth working is for money. as your guide. Not working for money. I mean, really, that's like yeah. Sabbath, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're still doing stuff. Yeah. You're just not you're just not uh you're not doing your job. That's right. You're not working for the weekend. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, because yeah. because Sabbath and sabbatical is uh and I'm learning this. I'm pra- I'm putting it that's into right. practice is like uh um applying the gospel by not working. That's right. Because in this season or this day on 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 Sabbath, um, everything still everything still goes. That's right. That's right. God still works, and the the Sabbath made for people or rest given to us is a gift, and it's part of right the goodness. Yeah, uh, the goodness of God. God knows how He made us, and so allows certain things like rest and sleep to to be embraced. Now. Certainly, when we don't embrace it, and you and I both have been uh, certainly guilty of not embracing Sabbath or rest at times, and we reap the whirlwind, so to speak. Yeah. But part of the goodness of God, and one of the reasons why Jesse, we're in this series right now, right, uh, focused on this book, Science and the Good. We're looking at the historical uh, realities of our culture, whereas uh, in the past people saw the goodness of God as the source of our own following him in, in doing either good or evil, right? Uh, morality has traveled with human beings since our creation, uh, depending on your worldview, uh, where we come from. We know that this idea of goodness or justice is just massive. And certainly in our current moment, it, everyone's talking about it. Um, but the reality is, and in sort of our intellectual tradition you know, that's traveled through maybe you know Western universities, do we really even believe that the good is real? And certainly the, the secondary question, how do we know what's good yeah. and how do we do it? That's uh, another one that presses upon us, right? When we see various things happen, it's right for us to say wrong, right? In, injustice. Uh, that person was murdered un, without justification at all, just killed. Uh, we're dealing with moral uh, principles. Now, the interesting thing and where we're headed today, Jesse, with this podcast is we know the importance of this, um, but there's such confusion and lack of agreement on what is good or what is just, what is true, and, and where does that come from? And it's a real difficult thing to think if you remove God from that equation to make sense not only the existence of true goodness and justice and right 
uh, behavior by human beings, but also our duty, our moral uh, duty to to do the good and reject evil. And so it's necessary uh, that we look at what, you know, our kids, my kids are being taught stuff. They go to public school here in town. What do they think about values and goodness? Is that something objective and binding to all people or something relative to peoples and culture that you kind of pick and choose as you go? Uh, Very important questions practically and certainly, I think, very intellectually uh, interesting. And truth, moral truth, is also beautiful. It's also beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I've been thinking about this, read about how this is, this is, this feels like a really important question, a really important thing to talk about in, in this particular time, in part because uh, I remember when we were, when I was coming up, uh, the question of truth was really prominent, yeah. you know, like... Yeah. Um, uh, what is truth is that, you know, is there, is there an objective truth? And right. I remember coming through school even where, where, uh, these, th- 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 those things were being questioned all the time. We were being forced to kind of grapple with why do we believe what we believe? And this season of, of our cultural life that we're in, it feels like the question has shifted downstream a little bit. Like, like what is good? What are we trying to do? What are we if we're deconstructing, what are, what's going to be there? Yeah. What, what are we trying to deconstruct to? If we're yeah. if we're building something, what are we trying to build? And what does it look like that it, we're building? Yeah, and yeah. it feels like we have to. In this, you're doing this. We're doing this. Is well, you, we we kind of have to back up, right? And That's say, right. That's right. There is such a thing as truth. Yeah, and how do we get here in yeah. terms of moral truth and its relationship to God? It's an interesting time to be alive because, quite literally, most people. Uh, today, unless they you know have some moral commitments or to a religion or a certain particular vantage point, would say, "Hey, you do you, but not that, <laughs> right? Yeah, you do you <laughs> as long as it's what I think you should <laughs> that's do. That's right, that's right. Yeah, and so it's quite the quite the conundrum that we're in. And and the interesting thing was is that I don't think obviously that it's a good thing that we've tried to disconnect ethics from God right? Because God being the source of all goodness and truth then uh, endows us with certain design and purpose, right? We talked about this last time, and that in the old days when, you know, most most cultures, even like, I'm not just talking about Christianity, have believed in some higher being or whatever, believed there was something owed to God in the way we act and treated each other. And so ethics has been for thousands and thousands of years, human civilization, connected to the idea of a deity or divinity, uh, and that we owe, right? And even uh, the idea of moral duties and culpability, right? Can I be guilty? Because uh, if you can, you're violating something, and it's not simply, you know, what what Joe down the street happens to think. And so we're in this situation where, like, hey, you do you until I don't like it, and then what is our recourse? Well, we just now we have social media. It's even worse. We get to just flame up everybody, uh, and we're taking a step back in this series and look at how our civilization got here, and then also. Um, hopefully by the end of this series, why we advocate to look at Jesus for what is good, true, and uh, as your search says, beautiful. beautiful. That's right. That's right. The distinction we made last time uh, in our kind of first, our introduction, the difference between moral ontology, the existence of the good, and moral epistemology. How do we come to know what is good? Those are two different questions, but the second is important only if there is a good to be known. Otherwise, it's just a fool's errand, uh, a bunch of circles 
circling a cul-de-sac with human beings, maybe skirmishing by the mailbox uh, every now and then. So historically, how did we transition from ancient wisdom traditions where good and evil were related to the nature of things, the purpose or design of something, what is good for a human being to do? You have to know what, what, what is the hint, what is the reason for which God made people, right? Those kind of questions were asked, but... After the Middle Ages and the time of what was called scholasticism was kind of this union of theology and philosophy in the Middle Ages in Europe, people like Thomas Aquinas, who was a professor in France, right, also a a, a monk in the Catholic Church, um, there rose this kind of scientific worldview, and there's been wonderful good things that have flourished and come out of this, right, beginning with people like Francis Bacon early on, later on, people like Isaac Newton, Kepler, uh, and, and this huge success thinking, wow, we can learn about things like by dropping a cannonball off of a, a tower and timing it and making these empirical or these investigations of phenomenon. Uh, they got very successful at like shooting cannonballs or doing different things scientifically. So the the progress that was made in the physical science with mathematics gave an optimism whether it was founded or unfounded optimism, to people who were kind of thinking, hey, we need to do the same thing with morality. So I'm just calling this the modern problem or the modernist problem. I'm trying to avoid, Jesse, using the word modernism because it's overused. But hey, can we do the same thing with morality? Can we just study human interactions and come out with scientific principles like as sure as, you know, uh, Newton's laws of motion, right? Can we come up with these uh, empirical, observable, scientific morals that everyone, by the force of reason and logic, will have to believe, right? Kind of a pipe dream that categorically failed right mm. um, now this this took place over a long period of time the first person that tried to unhinge at least in the west morality from god was a guy named ugo grotius right 1583 1645 and his idea was that there was morality but even if you didn't have god you could still come to it kind of by reason now was he right i don't know i don't think so but that tr- that trend continued with two figures um one named thomas hobbes uh, and the other named John Locke. Now, Jesse, these people um, wrote a lot of different things, but kind of important to American history in yeah. some ways because uh, Hobbes was the guy that kind of had this idea of the social contract that we submit ourselves together as a group under a sovereign uh, to for our protection. And so, you know, this dude can't hit me with a club and take my stuff, and so we agree to have laws and that kind of stuff. Um is all morality is. So from Hobbes, this is a quote, Jesse, from uh, the book Science and the Good. He says, as he put it, the words good, evil, and contemptible are ever used in relationship to the person that uses them, there being nothing simply an absolute that's so, right? So what he means by this, there's not any common rule of good and evil to be taken from nature and the objects of themselves. I hope you hear that shift. Instead, moral law is... Whatever human beings make it to be through consent and convention. Hmm. So in other words, Hobbes' idea was like, hey, there is no real good and evil out there or out in things or from God. It's just uh, what we agree, agree to do through consent and convention. Well, we like this, we don't like this, so we don't kill each other kind of things. The shift here, though, is, is profound because we're not looking to discover moral truths, principles, and precepts, we're looking to make them 
Yeah, to name them. I mean, this is this is the you know, yeah. this is where the 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 philosophical school of nominalism it, it triumphs, right? Yeah. In science is yeah. is now uh, Bacon has put it to use. Hobbes is picking it up, thinking about so- social sciences, and now it's just a you know, it's kind of a it ends up becoming a kind of a word game or um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's like, hey, this is what we call morality. It's not really good or evil. That doesn't exist. It's just kind of what we do to get to get on with it yeah. in, in the world. This kind of view had, took over, right, in kind of Western civilization. A lot of time, now, look, belief in God and Ten Commandments and all that stuff that continued strongly as well. It didn't disappear, but kind of the intellectual elite began to shift and say, "Oh, all this good and evil stuff. That's just kind of a word game." Um, what we really, what really matters, is the deals we make with each other, just kind of get on with life without killing each other. Um, John Locke, who uh, some of you may be familiar with, certain lines from the Declaration of uh, Independence, like uh, "Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness," that Thomas Jefferson uh, put down in, in in America. A lot of that's almost directly from John Locke, who really gets a lot of credit. You know, "Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Property," I think was his wording. But his his credit was is like, "Hey, the only method to anything we know is through observation and empiricism. You can't just know things internally; you have to study them with your senses." So the combination of um, you know, Hobbes and Locke, that morality is not out there. We, we kind of make it through convention and we study ourselves to figure out what's good. Um, this is a summary of that view from uh, Science of the Good. This is a quote by a guy, the Marquis de Contorat. He said, in the same manner, by analyzing the faculty of experiencing pain and pleasure, people arrived at the origins of their notions of morality. And the foundation of those general principles form the necessary, and this is weird language, and immutable, unchangeable laws of justice, consequently discovered the proper motives for conforming our conduct to those laws, which being deduced from the nature of our feelings may not improperly be called our moral constitution. So here's where we go. Uh, these people still wanted desperately to believe in morals, right? Because without which we become savages. We all know that. We see that. Um, but you have to derive them because, hey, we experience pain. Well, that's bad. Pleasure. Well, that's good. These feelings alone constitute morality. And don't you think our founders, I mean, I think so from from what I've read, were at least um, somewhat aware of the fact that these principles put in action work for a society that is a um, a society of wise people, right? I yeah. mean, uh, virtuous, virtuous right. people. And, pe- and the use of the word happiness probably means a life according to virtue. That's right. Jefferson's yeah, yeah. yeah. Eudaimonia, right? The the sense of uh, flourishing and well being that, right. that comes right. when a virtuous people are living together and <laughs> under God. Uh, and so, so, but of course, over time. That's right. When we lose the consensus about God and about what is... Well, they assumed morality that came from Christianity, right? Yeah. And here's the thing, the hypocrisy of the West and the, the, the contours of the West, that you had this kind of enlightenment, rational thing going on with science and empiricism, all that stuff. You had 
the Bible and Christianity. And then you had greed, right? You had just horrible greed where people did all kinds of evil for the sake of prosperity and money, you know, slave trades, right? How are these Christian people, quote unquote, Christian people, uh, owning people and putting them, subjecting them to horrors, right? Uh, And at the same time, trying to think, oh, we're enlightened, we can shoot cannonballs and we can do all this. It was this weird amalgam of these things. Mm. And so I think the Ten Commandments would have still been assumed by society, but they're like, well, that there what if there's no god or we we don't want to be subject to god we want to be rational and reasonable and come up with our own morality so looking at ourselves became the game looking at our feelings about things right and this of course flowered um right before the founding of america through a scottish thinker named david hume uh humean skepticism jesse you may hear in history hume lived 1711 1776 i guess hume died in america's birth year um but he was an empiricist as well science we're going to study this stuff and he said this again again listen to the words feelings hume's empiricism led him to conclude moral evaluation simply expressed a person's feelings not talking about anything real talking about their own feelings and attitudes respect to another person or a situation these he called them sentiments right sentimentality such sentiments right were the sum and substance of moral life and they could never be connected to any objective mind independent moral order so hume basically said hey we can't know anything about any objective order we just know how we feel about stuff all right so i you know somebody does something we might think it's icky right? Or somebody else does something and we're like, oh, he's a nice person. Now he kept this in the realm of maybe like character traits, like that guy, Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's kind of a, he's he's a jerk, right? Or she's a nice person. He would more think of character traits when he talked about that. But the move from that was pretty quick in history from uh, the idea of actions being important only to morality and not character or virtue. I know that'll upset you, but it's not virtue of the person that matters. It's just what they do or the usefulness or utility of the, of their actions. And we judge morality based on the consequences and results of what people do. Obviously this led to a very, a very popular ethical philosophy today still uh, known as utilitarianism. If you take any kind of basic ethics class in college, you're going to run into utilitarianism. It's like, hey, we don't know if this is good or bad till we see what it does. Do you see any problems maybe perhaps with that? Well, there's there's a couple, you know, and I, I would say this would probably, for me growing up, would have been um, a, a, a higher one than a kind of deontological one in the sense of... Deontological meaning rule-based or, hey, I'm basing right. on principles beforehand, acting on those principles, yeah, which yeah. which in my Roman Catholic upbringing would have been pretty prominent, but, yeah, but yeah. in schooling, this seemed to be the one that was, you know, how we sort of operated, right? Yeah. What's going to be the greatest possible good for the most people, the most happiness for the yeah, most people. Yeah. But the problem is, of course, you don't know until you look back right. whether or not the most people were happy. And then another problem is... Um, uh, how do you know the Nazis were bad? Well, look, well, they did bad things. Well, we look back, well, that was bad. But in the moment, how do you know? In the moment, how do you know? And, and when there and when there's a majority, uh, how do you know that doing it the other way wouldn't make the majority suffer more? Yeah, right. And That's so right. you know the, the Nazi. What happened there is a good example of that, right? That's right. Like That's right. easily convinced that well, this is the greatest good for the yeah. most of us. Yeah. Two two main figures in utilitarianism early on. The first one, Jeremy Bentham, seventeen forty eight, eighteen thirty two. Um, his idea was like, hey. 
How do various actions make us feel? Do we feel pleasure or pain? Happy or not happy? And uh, so this idea that, hey, we, we kind of figure out what is wrong by whether it causes us to feel a certain way, Bentham brought forward. Now, it was a little incomplete because like uh, human beings didn't really like that because like a pig in slop is happy, right? Like, oh, I'm a happy pig in slop. But, but these people wanted to think higher of themselves, right, <laughs> than that uh, for whatever reason. Um, but it certainly um, it developed under the, a name called John Stuart Mill, who actually contributed a lot to the philosophy of science. In fact, I learned something in logic called Mill's Methods, Jesse, about how do you test hypotheses. Wonderful stuff, like to isolate variables, to try to see what really caused this or that, and like, what caused that? Was it you know an angel on a tree, or was it this or that? Looking at causes, John Stuart Mill's fantastic in that. So the history of science, he's a big deal. I was a science undergrad major. Uh, but his, his utilitarian idea, Here's a quote. Uh, The creed which accepts the foundations of morality is utility or the greatest happiness principles. This holds that actions are right, right? We could say good, in proportion as they tend to promote happiness. They're wrong as they tend to produce the reverse of happiness. By happiness is intended pleasure and the absence of pain. By unhappiness, pain and the privation or the denial of pleasure. Now, this is like, okay, you don't want to just be selfish. Like, hey, whatever makes you happy. Well, they would get a little more sophisticated. said, well, like you said, the calculus, the mathematics of utilitarianism, what is the most happiness for the most amount of people? It's very, very difficult to anticipate the complex results of different actions with groups of people. And so utilitarianism is very, very difficult. Still used, though. You you know, my kids have been in public school where they do exercise about ethics or values, and it's usually trying to see what what you feel is right and without any kind of statement from heaven or on high because you don't want to, quote, force your morality on anyone. But this pleasure calculus, really, if you take it too seriously, the only thing you have is convention of society. How do you know if that's right or wrong? Well, people in the past did this utilitarian math, and now we do it this way. What if the majority is grossly wrong, and we have to question the wisdom inherited? Which, which America, right? We're good at doing that. Like at, in every age, we've refined, we've imp- improved in some ways, and devolved in other ways. Um, how do you do that? If you don't have a good or a just to critique the yeah. society's conventions by, um, I, you just get loud. But there's no real reason to think that uh, the, the math of the ancients was wrong and mine is right if there's no right and wrong. Actually, remember moral ontology to compare it to. Yeah. Um, so you run into all kind of problems. There's a funny example. Actually, it's kind of sad, actually, that I ran into, Jesse. Where, you know, um, you're, you're not on social media, or at least not very much, but some of you out there may be on the Snap'em chats or, or the Gram and Facebook. And um, kids have picked up, the, the kids, Jesse, they're, they're, playing the kids with these, these they're playing with these phones. Uh, but you can actually <laughs> take your phone, point it at yourself and make yourself look really, really different. Yeah, I have seen, um, I have seen the kind of Instagram reality posts that show where where filters are being used yeah. and how you can tell and it's it's remarkable. Some almost do plastic surgery to you, right? Yeah. They fix your nose, they fix your face, they make you look this and that. Um, and so people, uh, I listened to some technology podcasts. People were discussing this, like, is this right or wrong? 
And they were like, well, we know people's perceptions of themselves uh, based on what they look like in virtual world can affect behavior in the real world because there's studies on that. But but the the, the uh, podcast I was listening to is that we cannot conclude whether this is good or bad for, say, young girls was the discussion because we don't have the data. So you just got to let them do it. You just got to let them do it and find out. And then run some studies on run them later, see if they messed each other. Yeah. Oh, you my know. gosh. Um, one of the problems I've had with utilitarianism is that there is actually real wisdom that accords with the good that we can learn from. And to think if if my daughters or your daughters, right, um, were to think that they're only valuable according to their appearances, we might know something is morally yeah. deficient with that. Yeah. And we might, might not want have to, to wait for the data. We might not wait for the data to instruct yeah. the youth in morality uh, and how they should be valued and loved for what they are, right? Again, that goes back into a different worldview that the pure utilitarian scientific ethic does not have. So from Hume to utilitarianism, John Stuart, we, we arrived at evolutionary ethics, like Darwinism, late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, you know, human beings are just a byproduct of mechanical material processes that came from the beginning of all stardust into you today, and that ethics should be evaluated based upon its survivability. So the other, in other words, we're saying, um, hey, does this help us survive? Does this help us propagate the species? Uh, find a sexual mate. That uh, determines what is right and wrong because it helps us achieve these kind of unspoken goals. So why not be selfish? Well, group preservation or like, I like human species better than penguins or or whatever so later on richard dawkins in the 20th century wrote a book called the selfish gene that boiled all of human action down to dancing to our dna so even that view devolved but the idea was like why are we loving well maybe to help the group survive and escape the tigers and not die the problem with that view. And now today there's a, a new synthesis that we'll talk about in weeks to come that's kind of come about through evolution and neuroscience, like what the brain wants or whatever kind of thing. But evolutionary ethics was a disaster. One, social Darwinism came out of it where people started applying the principles of Darwin, Darwinism to culture and society, which led to kind of heinous things like eugenics. Yeah. Let's sterilize the invalids and do experiments on humans. A lot of racism built into that. A lot of that kind of idea made its way downstream into certain kind of master race ideologies uh, that came about. But evolutionary ethics um, uh, doesn't explain doing what's right because it is right. Just kind of describes, hey, people do this stuff maybe to survive. So a real big principle of ethics is doing something right with an internal motive because it is right. 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 And another thing that evolutionary ethics kind of falls shorts on is that it gives nothing in terms of what we ought to do tomorrow. There's no binding morality because our ancestors on the savannah survived the tigers. Should I do the good tomorrow? Well, maybe if you don't want to go to jail or, or whatever, force somebody's going to force it on you with the government. Uh, but there's no like ethical principle or objective moral duty that I ought to do that. Now, Jesse. These views, whether it's, you know, sentimental feeling observation of Hume or the kind of empirical trying to come up with utility pain pleasure that then was birthed later from like Hobbes into Stuart Mill, did this 
solve the problems they were after uh, of moral differences and people fighting and killing each other. Well, the sad thing that happened at the end of all this ethical musing where we'll find objective, true morality that doesn't even need God, it'll just depend on us, is that that world literally blew itself to hell in the major wars of the early 20th century and utterly ruined Western civilization's confidence and to use science and stuff to make something called progress, even morally. And it was all seen to be sort of a game. Yeah. And that's where like thinking about all of this trajectory and, and we haven't even gotten into the, uh, existentialists. We haven't gotten into, you know, the <laughs> more, uh, more recent developments. Like, yeah. The, the ultra modern kind of, uh, disasters, but it does lead to a place where the, if we've lost confidence in there being an, an objective truth to line up to an objective goodness or even our sources, um, and, and then we everything was put into applied science and into technology and progress, right. and then we blow each other up. And what then? Then we get to the place where the only thing left to do is pull it all apart, yeah. to tear it all down. Yeah, burn it down. Yeah, and, and so because there's nothing really um, there to stand on. There's nothing. Right. And, and really, that's... That's what, when I'm on the street with people That's right. at a street level, the question is, uh, it really is what's going to be left. What do yeah. we want? What are we, what are we hoping to find right. when we deconstruct? That's right. That's right. And he, and then Jesse, that reminds me of something. And guys, listen, this is really important. Our ethical and moral vision should do two things. One should give us confidence that there is something good, right, and true. Right. That exists. Look, maybe I don't know it. Right. But it, this is real. There's a way to to to, to for love and justice to flourish yeah. in human society. OK, not only just that existence matters, but that your view about it should also inspire humility. Um, and if it doesn't do that right, um, objective morality in the hands of arrogance, right, can lead to all sorts of evil doing. Right, because you think you're never wrong, and you don't have the humility to be taught. And I think uh, Jesus Himself is the great example of this. He was ob- as objectively right. He was the embodiment, the incarnation of of God, uh, the source of all truth and goodness. Uh, but yet, the way He treated people, right, uh, was with kindness, uh, power under control, the idea of meekness uh, to morally instruct and to bring people forward uh, towards what is good, right, and true rather than just to like blow up, blow up everybody. And that's where I think religion, whether that's, uh, and this is, look, this is not just the purview of Western Christendom. That's right. Um, There have been armies marching in the names of ideologies, whether religious or secular ideal, with certainty of moral absolutes, uh, but without humility, uh, without submission to God, to to do all sorts of heinous evil. This exists in every culture, every religion. So sometimes people say, "Well, religion just ends up, you know, poisoning everything and causing all this harm." Well, humans do with their ideology when it lacks humility and love. And so, look, marching conquistadors, or you know, the unleashing of the Ottoman Turkish Empire every summer to conquer. Um, that's not what we look to. We look towards the person of Jesus uh, who said, right, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then wanting to our lo- align our lives with love and justice and not simply justice. And the mercy of God triumphing in Jesus uh, becomes the guiding light in a person whom we actually can follow. Yeah, I think I think a lot about my role in the world in light of all this. And uh, 
And it is to point people to the, the good, yeah. the, the good true, one, the, the person. beautiful yeah. in Christ and in, and in the world he's created. But also that what you just said about humility and love and, and even recognizing that justice and love go together is um, that's the truly countercultural thing. Even sadly within maybe the, the Christendom, that's a countercultural thing. And that's, I've been, I've been really, I think, I think I mentioned it on here before, really influenced by uh a Swiss Catholic theologian, Hans uh, Ols van, van Balthasar. Yeah. Harder, hard to say his yeah. name. Is it, Truth, count? goodness, and beauty. Right? Yeah, and really, he, he's the theologian of beauty. I yeah. mean, he, he wrote a, uh, he's got multi-volumes on aesthetics, the aesthetics of theology. Um, but he's got a little book on, uh, really, it's on apologetics and evangelism called Love Alone is Credible. Yeah. And uh, in, in love alone is credible. It's not. It's not to say we empty ourselves of presenting the truth, the goodness, and Where the, the beauty. truth has content. Or yeah, that it's not that. Yeah. It's just that um, to we we really have to embody what our what Jesus That's has right. done, which is to love our neighbor. That's and, right. And so we bring the truth, the good, and the beautiful to, to our neighbors in yep. a hum, humility, and love, a, and, a, and a self-sacrificing it's love. love yeah. I think Francis Schaeffer has once said, "Love is the final apologetic." Yeah. Um, and I think that's right. Because the reality is um, God condescend to love and serve us, right? Um, and be both just to punish sin uh, in his own son and the one who justifies the, the wicked, right, that, that we need. We need forgiveness. We need love. And that's one of those clues. If you're out there talking, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because the end of the series, we're going to talk a lot about this. Yeah. If you're talking to other people outside of the faith, why is love central to all things, right? Is the universe personal or impersonal? I have wonderful conversations with people about that because we know love is central. We know the world is personal. We're, we're a person. We know the universe is in this impersonal flying around of nothingness. We don't treat our own lives that way that is a clue right and i think is very helpful in evangelism well at the end of kind of the this moralizing scientifically and trying to come up with all these different ways that we might objectively for all people based on reason and empiricism and principle come up with morality there were some folks that uh also realized if you're dropping God in the process, there are consequences to that. I call these, uh, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche, the honest atheist who, who said, well, if God is dead, are we just going backwards, sideward, forwards in all directions? doesn't matter. Is there any up or down anymore? Are we not straying through an infinite nothing? Don't we feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is night continually closing in on us, and certainly he was writing at the end of the 19th century, and what would happen just following him was was devastating to people who lived in that realm uh, that he was in. Or, or if you guys read Dostoevsky, right? This is uh, uh, out of the brothers Karamazov. Ivan Karamazov claims that if God does not exist, then everything is permitted. If there is no God, there are no rules to live by external to ourselves. No moral law. We must or are obligated have a duty to follow and so we can do whatever we want and so the cards were called on that view and it led to a disaster in that civilization now today um in hunter and netaleski they conclude their chapter on this period of history with a, a a startling quote i think a very important one uh, for us to look at as we close here today in an environment of growing social and cultural fragmentation. And I think social media, if you if you watch the, the show we quoted last podcast, The Social Dilemma, if you watch that, um, 
It's been accelerated by our technology. In an environment of growing social and cultural fragmentation, the cynicism of commercial culture, like it's all just about money for everybody, and the failure of science to forge a foundation for morality, moral skepticism. Well, maybe there isn't any good or bad. There isn't any up or down. And it's varied expressions that we'll look at in the coming episodes, Jesse, would proliferate. So where did this lead us? Now, today, we're saying, uh, hey, if it's if morality is just about our feelings, what if people's feelings are different? This group of that group. What about happiness versus... What about your happiness versus my happiness or our happiness versus their happiness. What if they're just doing it for power? What if we're just doing it for power? What if people just do stuff to protect their money and privilege and power? Um, what if life is just has versus has not one group of people against the other and there is no good, no evil, but you just make up social goals that what's left with that. Well, people saying, well, we're navigating social goals. Um, the question then, what is justice? Is it only that we're left to fight it out in the streets? Is that the vision of the world we have, Jesse? Is that our utopian future? <laughs> Fragmentation and factions and it's you against happening. me and power. It is happening. And sadly, uh, there need to be people who care about both love and justice uh, where mercy and justice kiss kindness moving forward to build a better future on the earth. It is more like the good and less like evil, but can't do that without God. Uh, the impossibility of it, I think, has been made manifest in, in both through modernism and certainly we'll look at critical theory, postmodernism next time, uh, and new quest to morality, giving our brains what they want through neuroscience or something. Uh, we cannot escape the call of goodness upon our life, the outrage we see at evil and justice. And God never intends us to. Uh, because these are part of being human. And God made us this way and designed us to love the good, even worship who is good, uh, and turn aside from evil and come away from it and to build a better kingdom in the midst of the broken, breaking down, fractured kingdoms of this world. Jesse. Can I get you to join us again during sabbatical? <laughs> who do I need to call? I got I got a I got a uh I got an appointment with my sabbatical coach tomorrow. I'm going to say, "Hey, listen, how how many episodes can I do? Can I do them all?" <laughs> Is it good for me? Is this good for me? Is this rest? Is this good for me? We got to build, man. Everything's fragmenting. It's time to build the good, you know, to the degree we can build. Well, I think for each of us starting with our own character, our yeah. own virtue, Building outward to the way we treat and love God and our neighbors, our families, put on a block in a community to shape things that might reflect a bit more of what Jesus showed us when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right here, Jesse, New River Valley, Blacksburg, Radford, wherever you are on earth as it is in heaven. Looking forward to continue Signs of the Good. We're talking next week about current theories and more existential postmodern or critical is that the way forward or are the new quests themselves foundering in different directions and we do need to return back to the one the resurrected one who is good who we worship love and serve forever and ever amen jesse i hope you can join us next time let me know all you guys out there we love you thanks for listening peace